This is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Friday, October 27, 2023. And today will be better than yesterday. I'm Buster Olney I'm down in the Arlington area. Actually, we're staying in a hotel in Fort Worth. Uh, Taylor and Sarah are back in Connecticut. And Taylor, I can tell you're excited for the start of the World Series because in the note you send out last night, you had like 50 exclamation points. You're like, let's go, start of the World Series, let's do it. I have like a really tortured relationship with baseball right now. You know, no one's gonna cry for me because it's my job, but I, I am so tired oh, from no. staying up oh, late. Oh no, I don't know, I, I I can tell where you're going, but go ahead. I'm so, t- it's like on the one hand, I'm like tired and exhausted from staying up late and doing the podcast and just being overworked generally. But then at the same time, I freaking love watching baseball. I love when the stakes are high. The World Series is here. What could be better? So uh, I'm sure my mood will change on like Monday afternoon. But for right now, we're, we're riding high. Nice. Well, so so there's a little bit all the exclamation points is talking yourself into some into mm-hmm. some getting fired up. Yep. Yep. We're hyping ourselves up over here. We ride, Buster. Let's go. Sarah, that was your strategy during the Phillies series uh, against the Diamondbacks, right? Yep, and you know that ended poorly, but that's okay. <laughs> She's so <laughs> over it. Lifelong Rangers fan now. As oh a, my God, you sound a, so sad. Oh, a so lifelong sad. Rangers fan. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. All right. Uh, as we said, the World Series will start today. We've got the Diamondbacks. We've got the Rangers. And on Thursday, in the media day, Zach Gallen spoke to reporters about what's it, it it's like to make the World Series two years after the Diamondbacks lost 110 games. Yeah, I try not to think about two years ago. <laughs> Those are some dark times in Arizona. Um, you know, with me, I was I was injured um, for a good part of that year, and then as a team, it just didn't it didn't turn out the way we wanted to. Um, but yeah, it's it's still surreal. I mean, I it, it kind of started to hit me a little bit on the way to the ballpark today. Um, you know, having the escort here. Just thinking like, you know, 730 days ago, whatever it was, like who would have really thought um, we would be here right now this this soon, this quickly. So, yeah, it's it's um, I'm just proud of the guys in the clubhouse, the guys that have that have walked through the dark times that were here. And then the guys, the young guys that have come up and just stepped up right away and, and kind of inserted themselves into this, you know, success we're having has been um, it's incredible. Yeah, it's funny he mentioned the escort. Guys, the other day uh, after one of the, the Rangers and Astros series, I was walking from the ballpark back to the hotel, and I noticed like they had this escort that was like the whole Texas National Guard taking the uh, Astros back to their team hotel. So the Diamondbacks are getting that type of treatment. Uh, he was asked how much the doubters are fueling the Diamondbacks. If you're in any sort of competitive field and somebody tells you you can't do something um, or they think somebody can do it better than you, I think that's that's kind of a main reason probably why you're where you are today. Um, so, yeah, I think for us, it's not necessarily that, I don't know, I'm speaking for me, but like I don't think it was necessarily that people thought that we couldn't do it. It was just that no one expected us to be here. And it was like, we're here. We might as well just see what happens. Let's just, you know. And then, yeah, I mean, you, you find little things along the way that kind of just fire you up and just motivate you really and we just got guys in there with, with quiet confidence of like all right we'll just prove you wrong let's just let's see what happens we know what we can do we had a really good first half and it's like we know it's in there so let's just see what happens one of the arizona doubters chris russo mad dog famously said uh, that he was going to retire if the diamondbacks beat sarah's phillies well that happened and tori lavello's carrying some receipts 
Stephen A. Smith, you're my boy. You're my boy. And I need you to hold him accountable, okay? I need you to keep going at him every single day. Don't let it stop. Um, but a deal's a deal. I agree. Like, you gotta, you can't back out of that one, Mad Dog. You gotta do something. I don't know if you're talking about TV, radio, but I do like Howard Stern's thought about walking with a billboard saying that I am um, whatever, a liar and an a-hole in midtown Manhattan for half a day. That'll do it for me, but I ain't going to forgive you until you do something unbelievable. Maybe show up here and say you're sorry to the entire team. I love Tori getting involved, right? Little TV oh, yeah. production getting it. And first off, a couple points. Tori Lavelle is a funny guy and you know, he's just totally having fun with this thing. Uh, but he also, as I told you guys, he's from this production family his dad was the executive producer of the show Hee Haw. So uh, I think Tori knows a good show when uh, he potentially could see one, Taylor. He knows how to get the crowd fired up. I mean, this would be a great, and Mad Dog does too. I'm, I lose, I lost a little bit of respect for Mad Dog for not uh, retiring on the spot, but could be a good, uh, good bit for a championship parade, perhaps, or spring training, should they lose? Yeah, you know, or... He shows up and and like bows down and you know puts his right. career on the on a plate and said, "Please, what should I do?" And have some fun with it. There's an opportunity there for sure, mm-hmm. uh, especially if the Diamondbacks go on and win the World Series. Nathan Avaldi starts Game One for the Rangers, and he talked about approaching the World Series start. Obviously, it is the World Series. I understand everything that's on the line. It's you know you got a winner, you go home, and you don't want to come this far just to come this far. Um, being four wins away to achieve our goal. That's what we're here to do, and I'm going to treat it like any other start. Same routine, same preparation, and things like that. Obviously, uh, I mean, a little bit more preparation, I'd say, going into this one. But, um, you know, it's more so trying to control the adrenaline and the uh, the emotions out there, make sure from the first pitch on I'm trying to settle in as fast as I can into the game to go out there and try to go as long as I can. Rangers manager Bruce Bochy talked about being underdogs in every series so far in this postseason. We really didn't talk about it. We, we weren't concerned with what people thought of us. You know, we... We thought we were good. We, we thought we belonged, and, and we thought we could win, and that's how we looked at it. So didn't really get concerned with, you know, what the outside or the big pundits or experts thought about us, and so that's how we approached it. A couple of other notes. Bill Miller and Alfonso Marquez will be joined by five first-time World Series umpire when the Rangers play the Diamondbacks starting on Friday night. Uh, Bill Miller, longtime umpire, uh, so that'll be uh, – I, I met him when he was in Class A. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to this. This would be fun to watch him. Former President George Bush is going to throw out the first pitch before Game 1 of the World Series. Uh, he, of course, threw out the first pitch during the 2001 World Series, which was won by the Diamondbacks. I think that's uh, the most memorable first pitch ever because it was in the aftermath of 9-11. Uh, and not a surprise, Dusty Baker announced after we taped our podcast on Wednesday that he's retiring after 26 seasons as the Major League Baseball manager. He spoke with the reporters on Thursday. Retiring from, from the field here in Houston, I haven't made up my mind yet what I'm, what I'm going to do or where I'm going to go. First, I'm going to go home, talk to my daughter that thinks that she's my mother, and spend some time with my grandkids and, and, and let the Lord tell me where to go and, and what to do. And I know he wants to reacquaint himself with a couple of hunting dogs that he got last offseason. See, he didn't think that uh, they necessarily recognize him. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, I got to say, Zach Allen sounds when he's talking about the playoffs and he's like, oh, we're just going to go and see what happens. He's acting like it's like a casual, like he's going to like a going out of business sale and he's looking for an ottoman. Like, oh, we're just going to go and see what happens. What? You know what that was? That was media weariness. 
Like he yeah. is so sick of us. And I don't mean to criticize him no, at all of course. for that, but you can hear it like, oh my God, I know we were bad two years ago. I, this is the 80th time I've answered this question. I just want to go and play the World Series. <laughs> like the, the, being in the games, I think, is a respite for these guys by the time they get through dealing with a bunch of idiots like me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're answering the same questions and have been for a month. I get it. I get it. All right. Uh, in terms of things to promote, the College Game Day podcast is out now. You can watch it on YouTube. It's our pick show. They're Stanford Stephen Reese Davis picking the week nine games. I think we picked eight of them. Uh, good episode for sure. Check that out. The College Game Day podcast on this podcasting platform and on YouTube. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. The NFL schedule drops this week. And you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, and every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code BASEBALL. That's code BASEBALL. Download the app or visit VividSeats.com today. That's VividSeats.com. Dot com today code baseball vivid seats experience it live the man swing and a high fly ball out towards left field the voice that one well struck the legend on its way out of here Bucciambi on baseball tonight and this the place legend. is going bananas who is calling play-by-play for the World Series on ESPN Radio for the first time. Boog, are you ready to go? I'm ready to go. I'm excited. This is going to be fun. All right. Speaking of legends, the guy who was in your chair that you're going to be filling tonight uh, for many years was just nominated for the Baseball uh, Hall of Fame's uh, broadcasting honor. That would be Dan Schulman. Tell me about – give me a little perspective on Dan because I texted him the other day when I saw this. It was very Mm -hmm. cool. Yeah, I mean, deserving. He's been one of the elite play-by-play guys for a long time on both radio and TV, which I love. Yeah, guy that hammers a big call. He's got the classic voice, but just he just has the stuff, right? In the big moments, he delivers big calls, but there's also an element of just your routine calling a game listening to him tell stories and call a ground ball to second. Um, he's pretty brilliant. I, I, I would say he's, uh, you know, since I've been doing it, he's been as good as anybody around. Yeah. Really excited for him. I'm sure I've told you this story before, but I'm going to tell it again. You're talking about his voice, you know, in all those years I did Sunday night baseball with him, uh, you know, being around it and hearing that voice all the time. And then one Sunday we were working on some E60 and they needed me to, to, to track, uh, to do some tracks from the booth and I go to sit in the chair to do the tracking when we arrive at the the ballpark for Sunday night baseball. And Dan is right behind me. And I'm just like, and I've got this crappy little voice and I'm just like, Dan, you need to leave. Like I'm going to be so self-conscious that you're going to be sitting here listening to me do tracking. Does that make sense? Uh, Yeah, no, it's, 
Well, it's one of these things where it's like, look, I can't even relate. It's like, I will get from people, you have a good voice. And it's like, okay, but when you're talking about the top of the top, which is the type, which is the type of voice that Dan has, it's a little bit different. It's yeah, I get you. Yeah. Can you imagine cooking a meal for one of those chefs who are on television? That's it. Yeah. (laughs) Like, that's that would it. be so self-conscious. And it's and it's just one of those things that that resonates. I've told the story before. My guy growing up was Harry Callis. <laughs> and I the first time I interviewed him, it felt like I was <laughs> oh Harry. I was wondering if but I the first time that I heard him, I was in line um for for food in the press room so it's like i didn't even know it was him and i just heard i'll have some lasagna green beans and i was like, <laughs> oh my god oh right well two other legends also were nominated there are 10 there's a group of 10 and we're not going to go through them all but two other legends who were nominated uh dwayne kuyper mike kruko who do the giants games i really hope i really hope that the Hall of Fame, which makes up its own rules, gets out of its own way and says, you know what? If one of them's going in, we're putting them both in together. Yeah. Like, yep. I, I I, don't know how the voting is done. I don't know if that's yeah, yeah. even possible, but please put them both in together. Yes? Yes. I, it's funny. I, I saw you. Uh, I think it was you. I mean, somebody I, – I, I saw that said, and I couldn't agree more. I mean, look, those two guys – are the definition of partnership they're best friends um they are i gosh i love seeing them i don't know that there's a group of guys that i enjoy seeing more than when i get to go to san francisco and see kipe and crook and they've also been great to me from when i first came into the league they're fun they're funny and then here's another thing. I know this may sound weird, but you can connect on this. Look, they're former players. They love it. They yes. love the game. And it's not the case for everybody that played. Um, and they have a line, both of them, that says, um, I used to have the first best job in the world, and now I have the second best job in the world. <laughs> going from player to broadcaster so they're 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 just magnificent those two well when i saw the news about kite uh I, I don't know if you know this but he has a history with holstein cows his grandfather had a herd of holstein cows and and we always go back and forth on cows and so i texted him and i said you know if you renounce because i i we had jersey cows and i texted him i said if if you renounce holstein cows i think you'll be a slam dunk to be voted in and he just texted back and said, Holstein suck. And I'm like, okay, that's it. You're in. Like he, he you know, he picked the right alley right there. <laughs> All right. That had nothing to do with anything. But that's just, fine. I like it. I'm, right. I'm familiar with his, with his dairy farming ways. And uh, yeah, just, you know, he's a kid, kid from Wisconsin. Right. Exactly. All right. You saw the Diamondbacks in, in September. And I remember you saying to me at that time, look, I think this team could win the World Series. I don't remember saying that. No, well, you didn't. I'm just kidding. Of course, no one thought that that was yeah. a possibility. What do you see in this matchup? Athletic. Both these teams really catch it. You know, I look. I they're good. I, I would say if you hooked everybody up to a lie detector test, I think they're probably 
they've advanced the schedule for where they thought they'd get here. I mean, but let's be clear, with Evaldi on the mound tonight, they're going to start four guys that are 23. That's pretty ridiculous. So, you know, in terms of their position playing lineup, yeah, they're super talented. Now, I will tell you this. This has been written on. I like this. For, for those of us that cover these things all the time and in multiple sports and you hear the, you know, nobody believed in us. Right. And it's so tired. It is so tired as a saying. Like, there's nothing, you know, it's like, I, I mean, I'm sure that at some point, like the Yankees, when they were winning all those World Series, were saying it or, you know, the Dodgers winning 106 games or something like that. But in this case, yeah, nobody believed in the Diamondbacks. It is actually true. No, nobody believed. And so I get it. But I also would say, let's not go bananas here, you know, in terms of, I mean, I saw them a, a lot at the end of the year and they look, they, I think I saw them seven times in September and they beat up on the Cubs. Well, they still, they won one more game than the Cubs and they finished with a negative run differential. They're, <laughs> they're really talented. Um, I, I think that it's, it's fun. And it's also, this is what expanded playoffs is now it's the NCAA tournament to some extent. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. I agree with you. And I also agree with what Carl Ravitch said on the podcast the other day that in 2017, Nobody knew, really knew, a casual fans didn't know who Jose Altuve was. And casual fans didn't know who George Springer was and Great. Carlos Correa. And now these guys are stars. That's a really good point. That, yeah. that, that, that is absolutely so. People didn't really know who those guys were. And they, and they found out. And they're going to find out about Corbin Carroll. Yes, that's right. And uh, I think know, this, so I will tell you this, the one thing that, that is quite interesting about – Again, there's just some randomness to this. If I presented to you, okay, Buster, guess what? The Diamondbacks are going to make the World Series. That's what we know. And then I said, okay, so what are your best guesses on how they did it? Your first guess would be, well, Corbin Carroll had to tear it up in the postseason. No, not really. Well, Zach Gallant must have absolutely shoved every single start that he's had in the postseason. No, No, not really. So it's, it's amazing how how these things can happen. It's like, not only are they surprising, but it's not like, you know, they've just gotten a little bit of everything from everywhere. They're a very good base running team. They catch it really well. Both these teams catch it. Well, I like that. I, I, I dig on defensive side of things. So, and then, you know, a bullpen that was for, you know, four and a half months bad. It was a bad bullpen. It was, I think they were 24th over that stretch um, till right, you know, the 25th of August. They were like 24th in bullpen ERA. And from, you know, late August on, they had the third best bullpen ERA. And now Thompson, Ginkle, and Seawald. And I'm sorry, I'm glad, but I would also tell you, if you can't root for Paul Seawald, I can't help you. If you can't, if you can't get down with that, I, I just can't because that dude, what, you know, what he's gone through, the journey, et cetera. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. And they kind of remind you of the Nationals uh, in 2019 who had the worst bullpen in baseball for a lot of that year. And at the end, they were the team with the dog pile. Yeah. I think you would co-sign on this because uh, 
you know, sometimes when, you know, if I say uh, Derek Jeter, you know, has more hits than anybody else in the postseason, 200, you know, there's a little bit of an eye roll that I feel internally when I do that, because of course, Derek Jeter got to play in a lot more postseason games than the guys in the 20s and 30s and 40s. But the flip side of that, which is where I'm leading to what the Diamondbacks are chasing right now, I think because they've had to go through multiple rounds, they've had to go through multiple rounds. I think they have a chance to go down in history as the most improbable champion because an 84-win team had to go against the Brewers, and they had to survive the Dodgers, and they had to survive the, the Phillies. If they beat the Rangers, it's the most improbable champion of baseball history. With all due respect to the 14 Braves, uh, 1914 Braves and the 69 Mets and the 88 Dodgers, pretty remarkable the Diamondbacks would come through all that. Totally agree. I could not could not agree more that if they were to win, it would be as unlikely a champion as, as we've ever seen. And I think you laid out exactly why. It's not just third fewest wins for a World Series team in a 162-game season. It's, I think that the one thing that I've underestimated, and now we've had it happen two straight years, so my theory clearly stinks, but the one thing I thought was even though expanded playoffs means that the elite teams can get knocked out, I thought that the, it would make it harder for the lower-seeded teams to, to have to do it like I thought you could knock off maybe one team, maybe two teams, but I didn't think the lower seeded teams would be able to run through and knock off four teams um, or, you know, or at least three teams and then make it tight. But, you know, you're, you're basically talking about the, in the national league, the last two years, the last team to get in is the representative in the world series. So I think you'd agree with me on this, that, you know, over the course of time, the the impact of the managers, generally speaking, has been overstated. I do feel like that, you know, as one Hall of Famer said to me last week uh, in regards to Bruce Bochy, you know this when he manages, the players are going to decide the games. He's not going to make some terrible gaffe uh, and screw up so that the manager is the difference maker. What do you see as, uh, you know, the experience and the expertise of a Bochy that kind of role playing in a series. Yeah. I mean, look, there's a steadiness. Um, I still think I still am more of a believer in, I, I don't think that the tactical stuff is the gig. I think the gig is managing people and keeping guys heads on straight and consistency of decision-making and that subtlety and how it affects guys' ability to feel like they're in the best possible place to succeed. Um, I think that we probably overdo the tactical stuff and forget that a run in the eighth counts the same as a run in the third, and we don't do as good a job, you know, isolating those things. But I look, Boaches. Cooperstown bound. And I think that when you're talking about managing people and tactically, and what are we talking about when we're talking about tactically, let's be clear. We're really talking about manipulating a bullpen. And I think that one of the things that he's shown throughout is an ability to manipulate a bullpen. So he's excellent. And again, I think on the other side, you know, a guy like Tory has earned his reputation as someone that 
sets a good tone that creates culture. You know, Mike Hazen's been pretty overt about, you know, both these teams lost 100 games. Diamondbacks lost 110 two years ago. And I asked him, I wasn't implying that he shouldn't have, but I was asking him, like, why just stay with him? He's like, because it wasn't his fault. Yeah. I gave him a bad roster. I mean, if he can't get down with that level of accountability, I don't know what to tell you. And two other things that are worth mentioning here. You know, we talk about the managers, but the Diamondbacks also have, I think, people who are regarded within the sport as superstar coaches. Brent Strom, the pitching coach with the Diamondbacks. You know, the, I mean, who was with the Astros before. The way they pitched the Phillies. I think that, uh, you know, it's not necessarily a surprise that the, the Diamondbacks were in a good position there. And then you know this, the guy who's known as the best base running coach in all of baseball uh, is the first base coach for the Diamondbacks and Dave McKay. Yep. And, uh, you know, the expectation is that, uh, you know, that the Diamondbacks are going to run, look to run aggressively in this series. So I got two more manager questions before you go. Speaking of future Hall of Famers, Dusty Baker. Yep. Uh, give me a Dusty Baker, you know, memory, thought, story that you uh, you tell people. I can Ooh. give you one to, to buy a little time for you. Uh, okay. A couple of years ago, uh, it was in 2022, they trade for Trey Mancini. And he is brought by the front office over to, to take over at first base because the first the front office didn't like Yuli Gurriel. And Trey Mancini was terrible for them. He batted under 200. He really struggled. And so in the end, Dusty, at the end of the year, starts playing Yuli Gurriel. Uh, and Trey, who's a great guy, great guy. Uh, you know, felt terrible about it. Well, they play the Yankees in the American League Championship Series. And Dusty, as he's wont to do, uh, you know, he is at St. Patrick's Cathedral and he's thinking of his players and he sees some prayer beads and he's thinking, okay, who on the team would like this? And he's thinking, I don't know if Mancini's Catholic, but I think there's a good chance because he went to Notre Dame and his last name ends with an I. So he picks up some prayer beads. And I remember Trey Mancini telling me that story and being so touched at a time when he was mostly irrelevant on that team, Dusty Baker is thinking of him. And, and how much that meant to him, that he wasn't just this afterthought on that team, that's one of the stories for me that encapsulates Dusty. I don't think I, – I, my stories for Dusty is just – it's more about, like, personal – my personal encounters. I got to work with him um, multiple games on the air, which was really cool. We, we actually had a game – I remember doing a TV game with him where – uh, we were in St. Louis and a piece of like trash rolled on the field and the player took like grabbed it on the infield and put it in his pocket. And he was like, no, and I'm like, what? And he's like, that's bad luck. Um, and I'd never heard that before. Um, I would say my two Dusty Baker things would be this. Number one, it's anecdotal, but I think if if you were to go around and try to find players that have something bad to say about Dusty Baker, you'd have a really hard time. In my just, it's just nobody, everybody loves playing for him. And there's yeah. there's something to that. They're just it. Like they just love playing for him. Um, and I, I think that that's what so many front offices are trying to capture. You're trying to capture that, you know, a leader that everybody believes in. And I would say that that is the way players as a general idea in my experience feel about Dusty Baker. And then the other one that was cool is I actually, you know, Dusty's worn those 
wristbands forever. Um, and he he told me a story about playing the he was he was managing the Giants and Billy Williams was coaching for the Cubs and they he changes them if they lose. So they have a they you know they have his face on them, but they have different color schemes and they lost like six or seven in a row and he kept changing the wristbands and he said the great story about the wristbands is Billy Williams when they're playing the Cubs was like, yo man, you fixing to run out of colors. Cause you, cheat. <laughs> like, you don't have anything left on those wristbands. And a couple <laughs> years ago, I, I lo- I think the wristbands are just the coolest thing, but I had, we did a game on my birthday on TV and Sut had told him, and he gave me one of his wristbands for my birthday, which I still have. That's awesome. Like one of the only things I have, you know, in some regard like that. So, and I would say this too, just to follow up on your point, and, and you can't find a player who say something bad about Dusty. Uh, I also never heard anyone say that his teams didn't play hard. Like his teams sure. always had a reputation as playing yeah. hard. Yep. Um, all right, last one before you go about a manager. You know Craig Council better than anybody that I know in the media. Uh, and the big question about Council as he you know goes through this process of interviewing the Mets, would he actually leave – the Midwest to go manage in New York, where presumably he would get a monster contract. Yes. What's your best guess? Would he? Yes, he would. Um, I would say, yeah, he would. I I think, um, what do I think is going to happen? I'm not, I'm not sure. I think, I think that my guess is that the, if, the owner of the Brewers wants to keep him. He can keep him. Yeah. So here's, here's my read on, I've heard around the edges that it's important for council to set new benchmarks for managers. He's in a position of leverage right now, generally speaking regarded as, you know, one of the top two or three managers in the sport. He's a free agent. He can talk to the Mets. He presumably can ask the Mets for a lot of money. I'm guessing he's going to get a tremendous offer from the Mets at some point, which he can then take back to the Brewers or he could take to the Astros or the Angels or one of these teams and say, hey, this is what uh, I have on the table. What are you going to do about that? And I guess that's the big question at that point. What is Mark Adnazio, the the owner of the Brewers, if – and I'm just pulling the numbers out of the air. If the Mets offer him $8 to $10 million a year – how far will Mark Adnazio go? My instinct, by the way, because, boy, what a coup for the Astros if they could be the team to land Craig Council. We've seen uh, Jim Crane, the owner of the Astros, absolutely hold the line on salaries with players. I can't imagine him chasing big numbers to hire Craig Council. That's just my instinct. I have nothing to base that on. What do you think? Yeah, and then also um... – Gosh, they have, they certainly have in Jose Espada a, a pretty good in in house candidate. Yeah. I, yes, I would say all of that. I would say, yeah, I think uh, I think that that's uh, that's fair in terms of Jim Crane. And but I, I don't know, I don't know enough in that regard. Okay. All right. Well, you do know a lot about calling by play by play, and you'll be on the call tonight, Book. I'll see you in a bit. I'm excited. I'm excited. Be good to work with you, brother. This is the numbers game with Sarah Langs. 
Sarah Langs, reporter producer for MLB.com, who is down here in Arlington. Sarah, how you doing? I'm doing great. I had a great uh, welcome to Texas moment yesterday, getting some lunch after arriving. You know, you can find a good place on Yelp, you order online, and it says they have cheese and gelatas. I'm vegetarian, not sure I've mentioned that before. So I order the cheese and gelatas and think they're going to be, you know, enchiladas with cheese and either red sauce or green sauce. And they come with a nice little, uh, what is it, like meat sauce on top of them. So uh, that was a welcome to Texas moment for me. And you sent it back, right? You said, no, <laughs> I asked for cheese enchilada, which, by the way, this is no joke, Sarah. Last week when I was here uh, for the, the, you know, the Astros and the Rangers, that's exactly what I ordered. It was cheese enchilada. So we're very similar in that regard. I love that. I did not. It was takeout. There were chips. I had plenty of lunch. But the moment we opened it, it was so clear. It was not my normal East Coast cheese enchiladas. I was like, oh, yep, I am in Texas now. It probably was armadillo meat. That would be my <laughs> guess. Uh, so as always, Sarah, the, you know, I have to chase you down to get details of you being honored. Uh, there's a scholarship I saw on Twitter being named in your honor. There is. I was so honored when Scott Bush was in charge of Sabre, the Society for American Baseball Research, approached me about this this summer. So there is a scholarship in my name for female students who are looking to get into baseball research. I believe you would get, they will pay for someone to be registered to the Sabre Conference, which happens in March, and also their analyst certification courses. So this is just encouraging help women who are looking for a way to get into baseball research and analysts to do so. And when Scott approached me and talked about how I often tweet, you know, good, more, please, when a woman gets to do something, they should be getting to do anyway, but it's the first or whatever it may be. And he said he was inspired by that. So I was totally blown away by it. And then, yes, I told absolutely nobody about it. And uh, then the tweet went out and I got on a plane and I didn't even get to react to it until afterwards. So, of course, a lot of people who know me were texting like, wait, what? What is this? So. There you go. Uh, yeah, you stole my line. I was going to say when you uh, talked about it, I was going to go, more please, more please. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. All right, let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is three. So one of the really fun things with this World Series is that Will Smith, who was on Atlanta in 2021, and was on the Astros last year, is on Bruce Bochy's Rangers this year. So he is going to become the third player to appear on the World Series roster in three straight seasons for three different teams. Joining Don Baylor, who was on the 86 Red Sox, 87 Twins, and 88 A's, and Eric Hinsky, who was on the 07 Red Sox, 08 Rays, and 09 Yankees. But none of them won that World Series in each of those. Three. So he would be the first to win 
a World Series in three straight years with three different teams. And I actually looked into this further because often, as we know, my uh, first thought has always been Jim Lena in 2010. Guys can win a ring even if they're not on the World Series roster, right? So Benji Molina was traded in 2010 to the Rangers to give Buster Prothea that starting job. They mm. end up facing them in the World Series, and he was going to get a ring either way because he had been on both teams. So even if we use the absolute broadest definition of winning a ring, playing one regular season game for the team that won the World Series, Still, nobody has done what Will Smith has a chance to do if the Rangers win the World Series. Number two. Number two is also going to be three. So with Bob Melman being announced as the Giants manager the other day, you will now have managed three in the West team. The Diamondbacks, the Padres, and now the Giants. He is going to be the first manager to manage three teams in the same division since we split two of these three divisions per league in 1994. And I just think that's so perfect for him. He's a <laughs> West Coast guy, and here he is rounding up the NLS. Number one. Number one is 1922. We have a year. So you and I were texting about this about a week ago as you were working on your story about Dusty Baker. And you asked me, hey, who is the oldest guy that Dusty Baker faced? Not, oh, oldest at the time he faced him, but oldest in the history of the world. The longest to go for state of anyone who he faced. And my answer was someone born on July 26th 1922, and that is, I mean, which again, I don't even need to say the name, it's already incredible, and it is quite Wilhelm. So we looked into that, and I had that on my mind over the last week. And then yesterday, I realized I was thinking of Evelyn Carter, who was a rookie who they had just faced in the LCS, and I was wondering who is the youngest that he has faced as a manager. And the answer was Jason Dominguez, who was born February 7th, 2003. So <laughs> Dusty Baker faced someone born in 1922 as a player and someone born in 2003 as a manager. I just think it's an amazing way to show how much of the baseball world he has spanned. I absolutely love that statistic, uh, you know, because it just shows such a range. I mean, I've, I've used the line, and I've been on radio this week about him. He's sort of like baseball's Forrest Gump. He saw everything. He knows everybody. He can tell you stories about everyone. Uh, and other people have stories about him. I thought you would like this story, Sarah. Yesterday, I reached out to Jay Bruce, uh, who, of course, played for him with the Cincinnati Reds. And I said, basically, tell me about Dusty. And he had this great story about how Dusty, you know, he would always sort of pop into the clubhouse. He'd be talking to guys. And if you had a sense that someone was down or having a tough time, that player would uh, walk to his locker and find a plate of food. Mm -hmm. You know, Dusty, in every place that they would go, he'd have a special meal brought in. 
wherever the you know the, his teams were playing, and he would have a meal specially arranged for that player and put on his plate uh, that plate of food put on the chair in front of his locker, just to make him feel as if he was seen. It was one of the coolest stories I've ever heard about a manager. What do you think? I love that. That's one of the like love languages, you know. For some people, it's food, and that's such a perfect way to show that you're being thought of that you've got this and it's also practical right being able to get them some good energy and get them back on the right track so that's so perfect i love it it's amazing i mean as i said 1922 to 2003 means that we will be hearing dusty baker stories that we haven't heard before like that forever and i love that so much i mean this isn't nearly on the same level, but I have a colleague named Will Frazier in MLB. He's a great member of our social team. He is a huge Reds fan, and he interned for the team in social media. Like, I mean, back when um, when Dusty was there, so more than 10 years ago. And he posted something on Instagram just saying, like, Thanks for being so kind to the scared little social media intern. And you think about back then when we didn't even realize the power of social media in nearly the same way. And of course, Dusty was great to him. So just knowing that this goes for everyone he has interacted with is really incredible for me. Yeah. He has touched the lives of so many people. Uh, and that's why, you know, yesterday when I tweeted out the story that I wrote on him, people are like, well, he didn't handle the bullpen right in game seven. Or, you know, he, he uh, you know, he didn't mess up here. And you're like, you are missing the point uh-huh. of why this guy managed for so long and players responded to him. And I never heard this about a Dusty Baker team that it didn't play hard. All of his teams yeah. were always known as playing hard. And I think that's, uh, you know, in part because of how Dusty treated his guys. so Absolutely, absolutely. All right, Sarah, I get to see you at the ballpark later. I know, I can't wait. Thank you so much for having me. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease. Plus, it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NexGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. 
dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Jumping into the numbers. This is Hembo Knows on Baseball Tonight. And Hembo, of course, is Paul Mbikiti. He's a right-hand man for Mike Greenberg on the show Get Up and on his radio show. And Hembo, I got to give you credit. Your Phillies were knocked out just a few days ago, but you've recovered. You're moving on. I would have guessed that uh, you we sounded more like one of those Phillies fans that we saw on that video. I'm sure you've seen it as they're exiting the park after losing game seven. And they're all just like, trade everybody, F the players, <laughs> Trey Turner. He's a joke going on. You you rose above that, Hembo. Well, I rose above that merely because no one caught me on camera after the game. But had they done so, <laughs> I would now be your favorite ex-ESPN employee. Well, look, my darkness <laughs> retreat lasted for 48 hours. I've since been able to emerge from the darkness and, and, and discover the fact that we actually have a pretty compelling World Series on our hands. And I'll be able to watch it a little bit obviously less emotionally than I would had the Phillies been in. And so I have a clear-eyed, objective look at the World Series, Buster, with all the numbers that you need to know, hopefully some numbers that will make you some money too. All right. Uh, you went into Aaron Rodgers' cabin, a little incense you lit in there, and now you've emerged to give us all your information. Okay, three things the Diamondbacks have to do to upset the Rangers. Number one is they have to create runs on the bases. During the regular season, not only do they rank second in stolen bases, but they rank second in stolen base efficiency. This is a club that ranked 22nd in home runs. So that's, that's the profile. Like, that's how they like to generate runs. Against the Phillies, they stole nine bases in the four wins and none in the three losses against Jordan Montgomery, against Max Scherzer, and against the Roldis Chapman. I think they should run, baby, run. Number two, Zach Gallen has to pitch like the ace that he is. I mean, he was the best starter on either of these teams during the regular season. It was four and a half war, a four and a half to one strikeout to walk rate, but he allowed nine runs and five homers in 11 innings against the Phillies. They lost both of those games. They got lucky. That's not a strategy. That gallon needs to pitch a lot better if Arizona is going to spring the upset here. And three, Buster, Arizona has to build a bridge to their best three relievers. Ginkle, Thompson, and Seawald have combined to allow three runs in 27 and two-thirds innings. The Rangers, meanwhile, have a 971 OPS in innings four through six, and 42% of their scoring have come in those three innings. What they're doing, they're wrecking your fatigue starter, and they're wrecking your lesser reliever. The Diamondbacks have to build a bridge in those innings to those three studs at the back end of their bullpen. All right, you and I, very like-minded in this. You sent me your notes that you wanted to talk about last night. I did SportsCenter this morning, and they talked about the you know what the Diamondbacks knew to win, and I talked about the running game. Six They were successful, 16 of 19 attempts. In the playoffs going into this, they, as you mentioned, they're nine for nine against the Phillies. You can run on Jordan Montgomery, allowed 14 of 15 steals versus the attempts during the regular season. You can run on Nathan Abaldi, who's cleaned that up to some degree of his game. So there's going to be opportunity there for sure. Uh, Zach Gallen, an interesting, just to follow up on what you said and, and what he needs to do, he's got to pitch backwards. He's got to land his curveball. He's got to land his changeup. He's got to land his cutter because this team. Absolutely, the Rangers destroys mediocre fastballs. Average fastball velocity for Zach Gallon, 93.6 miles per hour. And I think I saw Jeff Passan get a note that during the postseason, the Rangers in against velocity, 91 to 95 miles per hour in this postseason are batting 328 with a 629 slugging percentage. So Zach Gallon needs to land his secondary stuff. All right, give me three long shot World Series bets that you like. 
Look, baseball history is littered with unlikely World Series heroes. Guys like Steve Pierce and David Freeze and David Eckstein and Scott Brocious, and the list goes on and on and on. So what I've done is identify three bets that are 15 to 1 or longer if you're inclined to bet on such things, Buster. I like Nathan Ivaldi at 18 to 1 to win World Series MVP because he might get three bites at the apple. He might get two starts and potentially a relief appearance. This is a guy that's gotten 18 outs in all four of his starts this postseason. He's become very trustworthy. I think he's got a shot to do this. Uh, at 22 to 1. Hold on, hold on, hold go on. Ahead. Before you move on, no <laughs> remember the Nathan Valdi, if you mentioned three shots the apple, he'll start game one, you know, could start game five, and you know that if you get to a game seven, that he'll be going into Bochy's office, Madison Bumgarner-like, and he'll be the guy holding his spike, say, I'm ready to go, Skip. I totally agree, and that could be like the last sort of defining image of the World Series, and hence why I think he could win. The MVP. I also like Gabby Moreno at 22 to 1. I think this could be largely narrative driven, but if Arizona does wind up winning, I think you could do a lot worse than a 23 year old catcher hitting in the middle of the lineup. He's got yep. nine RBIs in 12 games. If that offense gets rolling, I, I could see him being a, a big reason why. And, a, and I think they'll be touting his age and his skill a lot on the broadcast. And I would say this about Gabby Moreno. All the televisions in Toronto will be like people will they'll have to turn it off because they'll be so sad thinking that they do not have Gabby Moreno going forward. It's unbelievable that he was traded. Um, Yes. And that's going to be one that they regret for a long time. I also want to give you one more. And that's Nathaniel Lowe at 25 to one. So Buster, 90 90 percent of Diamondbacks innings this postseason have been thrown by righties. That's what they do. And so I think when you look at Lowe, you look at Evan Carter, you look at Corey Seager, that's a real opportunity for Rangers lefties to mash. And Nathaniel Lowe has the most pronounced sort of platoon splits among those. I could see him having a really, really, really big series and being sort of the unlikely hero and could win MVP. I had a great conversation with him the other day. I will report he's a huge baseball fan. We do always talk about this, you know, which baseball players are baseball fans. He is a huge baseball fan. And something to think about uh, regarding – the, the Arizona bullpen. Paul Seawald has been amazing this postseason. Maybe the MVP of that team. Eight innings, three hits, 11 strikeouts, no runs allowed. Well, the Rangers hitters have at least seen him because he's been in the American League West. You know, Dolis Garcia uh, has had success against him in the past. Uh, I think Corey Seager's hitless, but he's also drawn three walks, like over five and three walks. But they've at least seen him. You got the feeling some of the the National League teams that saw him. It's just there was not a comfort level with those guys with that riding fastball. All right, Marcus Simeon, Corey Seager, in your mind are in rarefied air. Yeah, I think you're going to really like this. Um, so the date that changed everything for the Texas Rangers was December 1st of 2021, the day that they signed Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon. That changed everything. And by no means could you say that a pair of players making half a billion dollars are underpaid. (laughs) But I'll say that they have been worth every penny, especially living in a world in which mega contracts are often bad investments, as you and I have discussed many times. So this year for Marcus Simeon, it was was 7.4 war. And for Seager, it was 6.9. Here's how I'll contextualize that. This is the 119th playing of the World Series, and thus these are the 237th and 238th teams to get there. So 238 teams to play in the World Series. But Buster, this is only the fourth team, the fourth team out of those 238 that reached the World Series with a second baseman and a shortstop that each had at least six wins above replacement that season. You've heard of all the others. In 2017, it was Jose Altuve and Carlos Correa. In 1949, 
it was Pee Wee Reese and Jackie Robinson. And in 1948, it was Lou Boudreaux and Joe Gordon. Buster, it is not by any means a stretch to say that this team is about as strong up the middle as any team has been historically. And in my judgment, at least, those two guys provide the foundation of this sort of renaissance, this iteration of Texas Rangers baseball. They have been remarkable. Uh, and, you know, hats off. We, we always talk about, you know, teams that tank like the Oakland Athletics this year. Hats off to Ray Davis, 81-year-old owner of the, uh, of the Texas Rangers, who made up his mind that he wants to have a winning team. And so he gave Chris Young his, his uh, checkbook uh, and said, go get some good players. It'll be really interesting to me to see how aggressive uh, Simeon and Seeger are right off the bat. And you saw during the Houston series, they're constantly swinging at the first pitch. It felt like they were just hunting fastballs, hunting fastballs, hunting fastballs. And I mentioned about Zach Gallen, like he, he's got to throw his curveball, you know, first pitch. He's got to throw his, uh, his change at first pitch. And you know that the Rangers hitters, especially experienced guys like Simeon and, uh, and, and Seager, they're going to be aware of that ambo. Oh, no question about it. The approach of this thing is going to be wild. Like Adolis Garcia, for example, still hasn't walked yet this postseason. I, I think there is an opportunity. There is definitely an opportunity for Diamondbacks pitchers to nibble and to induce that chase, that's sort of the, the, the genius of baseball, like the matchup within the, with, with, you know, within the game, that kind of stuff. The, the, the Phillies, very early on in that series, had it figured out against those pitchers. And then as the series evolved, the Diamondbacks staff adjusted back. That's the genius here. I, think, I actually think if Zach Gallo can go out there and win game one tonight, or at least pitch well enough for the Diamondbacks to win game one tonight, they all, all of a sudden become in the, dri- become in the driver's seat because they haven't gotten anything from that guy, and they have built up this level of confidence. This series, more than most, I think game one will go a long, long way. And it would not surprise me at all, at all if Arizona shocked the world again. I'm sticking with my original pick. Rangers and six is what I'm sticking to. But the more research I, uh, I have done, especially in providing that sort of formula, that three-point checklist for them to do it, I won't be surprised if in a week from now we're talking about an awfully different series than we may have suspected. All right, Hembo. Thanks for digging in, and I appreciate it. Later, friends. Get out series. of here, Hembo. Sick exactly of Hembo. Right. Todd Radom is the chief executive of our weekly quiz. He's a graphic artist whose work can be seen on ball fields all across America, all around the world, or you can go to his website, toddradom.com. Todd, how you doing? World Series time, Buster. It is great. How are you? I'm doing okay. Congratulations on being the only person to pick the Rangers and Diamondbacks in the World Series before the year started. You're a genius. <laughs> well, Buster, that trip I took to Vegas a couple of years, a couple of weeks ago, you were wondering what that was for. I could do it down the street for me at a casino. But anyway, what a what an unlikely World Series matchup. And I can't help but think, for those of us who have been around a while, is this the most unlikely World Series matchup perhaps since 1991 when the Twins and the Braves met? Oh, boy. Uh, you know, I was just had this conversation yesterday about improbable uh, World Series champions and see if you because you love baseball history. Uh, I think that if the Diamondbacks win the World Series, they will be the most improbable World Series champion of all time because, you know, the Boston Braves, uh, you know, 1914 famous, the Miracle Braves. They didn't have to go through multiple rounds of playoffs. They went right into the World Series. The 69 Mets, you know, the Dodgers, the 88 Dodgers, the team that I followed, they had one National League Championship Series, and then they moved on. This team has gone through the Brewers, <laughs> the Dodgers, the Phillies. If they win the World Series after an 84-win regular season, to me, the most improbable champion of all time. Does that make sense? 
It does make sense. And I think that's why you've got to give all the props in the world to Arizona for having navigated what they have navigated to this point. And it whole the whole thing speaks to the fact that the tournament is a very different thing. And you can't help but think about all of those Yankee championship teams of 1928 and 1932 and 1930, blah, 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 blah. They would have gotten tripped up at some point along the way at but, some point yeah i mean it's best just of like three a best of five yeah you know, all the different rounds i mean players will sometimes when we talk about all-time you know hit leaders uh you know jeter has 200 hits and people will say well he had the advantage of being in so many rounds well you know what his team won but they played in five world series in six years and they got through those rounds yeah. Uh, you know, they won four World Series in the time. So there's it's, a, it's kind of a double-edged sword. Give me a prediction from you for this World Series. Wow, such an unlikely matchup. And uh I I don't I don't I have no sense of you know of of rock solid prediction here, but I'll take Rangers in six. But I wouldn't be surprised if it was Diamondbacks in six or seven. I I just think the Rangers evolved the um I, I just that's my call. Yeah, that's impressive. You're picking the Rangers in six. Your preseason call. I, I respect that. You know, over <laughs> over the next. All right, let's get to this week's Forgotten Field. All right, Buster. On July 5th, 1991, National League owners unanimously voted to approve Denver as one of two expansion clubs that would begin play in 1993. The Colorado Rockies played two seasons at Denver's Mile High Stadium as Coors Field was being constructed and they made their home debut there on April 9th, 1993, against the Montreal Expos in front of 80,227 fans, Buster. The largest home opener in the history of baseball. Colorado's MLB tenure predictably began with an offensive explosion. The Rockies scored four runs in the first inning and cruised to an 11-4 victory, which began with a four-run first inning outburst, including an Eric Young leadoff blast. Todd, pause right there. Guess who's going to be on the podcast on Monday? Who? Eric Young. Oh, my God. Well, you could tell him that we <laughs> – how great we is that? We him right there. But go yeah. on. 93 Rockies. Wow. The club set all kinds of attendance records in 1993, drawing 4,483,350 fans in 79 home dates, which is an average of 55,350 per game. Can you imagine – they did even better the following year, averaging 56,094 during the strike-shortened 1994 season. The NFL's Denver Broncos played there for 40 years, but Mile High was built to accommodate professional baseball, originally called Bears Stadium. It housed the minor league Denver Bears beginning in 1948. It was constructed on the site of a dump, just west of what would eventually become I-25. Mile High had its share of memorable sporting moments, including the 1983 USFL Championship game and a 1979 exhibition bout between Broncos defensive end Lyle Alzado and Muhammad Ali. The stadium's name was rooted, in fact, and its 5,280-foot elevation served as witness to a titanic 582-foot home run in 1987 hit by the Denver Zephyr's Joey Meyer. Pope John Paul II celebrated a mass there in August 1993 while the Rockies were on the road in Houston. Mile High's mammoth 9 million pound East Grandstand was converted from football to baseball and back via a thin film of water. A series of water lubricated 
hydrostatic rubber pads, Buster, were pressurized, and the seating section was lifted and moved 145 feet in a matter of hours. Rockies games at Mile High featured the Rock Pile, a popular left center field bleacher section whose 1,700 seats went for a buck apiece. The flooring there was made of steel sheeting, and when the fans stomped their feet, it resulted in a deafening roar. Like most expansion teams, the Rockies stumbled through their first couple of seasons, but by the time they reached Coors Field in 1995, they were a playoff team. The Broncos continued to play there until the end of the 2000 NFL season, and the venue was demolished during the winter of 2002. If you go to a Broncos game at Empower Field at Mile High, make sure to head to parking lot J, where a home plate is painted into the pavement facing the stadium that replaced the original Mile High Stadium, the first home of the Colorado Rockies, and this week's Forgotten Field. I went to games uh, in Mile High when uh, in my first years of covering the San Diego Padres, 93 and 94, and I must say it was an incredible sight uh, to see fans sitting so far from home plate and just being amazed by the passion of the fan base. And I was thinking about this as you were talking. You know, we we talk about Phillies fans, and rightly so, about their passion, uh, you know, in, in other cities. Cardinals historically have had a great following. I think the Brewers have a great following. The Rockies fans, I think, deserve a you know ton of credit because it's probably the franchise with the least amount of hope year to year because of the constant problems they have in maintaining, fostering pitching within that organization, and yet people go there consistently to go watch the team play. They love baseball there. They do, and uh, it's a great stadium. You and I were out there for the All-Star game just a couple of years ago. The stadium has aged well. The neighborhood has come up around it. And to your point, the fan base has always embraced this franchise who had a great run in 2007 and then got smoked by the Red Sox in the World Series. And you're right. They deserve more. And when the World Series eventually comes back to Colorado, and it's going to happen, keep the faith alive, that place will go nuts. You're absolutely right. Great baseball market, traditional baseball market. Um, and maybe they'll they'll uh, work up some kind of a rivalry with the Salt Lake, whatever they're going to be, expansion club. The buzz, right? <laughs> you know, or whatever. Yeah. 100%. Exactly. All right. Let's get to this week's quiz. All right. It's getting late early over here. This club was the first to receive World Series rings that contained more than one diamond. Was it A, the 1975 Cincinnati Reds? Was it B, the 1957 Milwaukee Braves? Was it C, the 1977 New York Yankees? Or was it D, the 1965 Los Angeles Dodgers? First club to receive World Series rings that contained more than one diamond. The 75 Reds, 57 Braves, 77 Yankees, or 65 Dodgers. So immediately I go to which owners were cheap. (laughs) <laughs> you know, which owners would do that? And I don't know if that's a, a good barometer because I don't know the answer to this one. Uh, I also uh, understand how George Steinbrenner liked to be gaudy. So I'm going to pick the 1977 New York Yankees. Uh, t- Sarah, I'm going to let you go last. It's been a tough week for you as a lifelong Phillies fan of one year. Taylor, you go second. Damn, we are in sync, Buster. I was thinking the exact same thing with the Yankees, but I need to make up some ground, so I'm going to go with the Dodgers. I was debating between the Yankees or the Dodgers, so I'm going to actually just, I'll go Reds. Why not? Well, Buster, your instincts were correct, because it Ah. was the 77 Yankees, and in researching this question, 
and I had totally forgotten about this. Cheap Charlie Finley and the Oakland A's had yes. perhaps the most janky, yeah, unlocks World Series rings imaginable uh, toward the end of their run. But uh, congratulations, Buster, solidifying a championship well, year. Yeah, anybody who got a, uh, and I am I say this without any knowledge whatsoever, of course, I'm completely joking. Anybody who got a championship ring from Charlie Finley better check the diamond, right? <laughs> it probably was fake. <laughs> Knowing how Charlie Finley operated his team, Todd, would you back me up on that one? Well, Buster, to further back you up on that, my understanding is that one of those World Series rings, I'm not sure if it was 73 or 74, actually had no diamonds. It was like a green stone. It looked like something that you got in the Jostens catalog for your high school graduation. Yeah, and you mentioned the Reds, and I was thinking, no, was, was Mark Schott in charge of the team? Because if she had been in charge of the team, uh, at that time, when they won the World Series in 75 and 76, that would have also been an issue. You know, she was famous for uh, not uh, compensating scouts for their phone calls when they were on the road. Like, if you put in, uh, you know, call back to the office uh, during the trade deadline, a dollar twenty rejected. Like, she was famous for being really cheap. So, that uh, that's a good barometer when we talk about. It. Let me put it this way: If the 2023 Oakland Athletics won the World Series, I don't think we'd be talking about gaudy rings, Taylor. <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. Maybe <laughs> maybe they'd make like a nice memento, like the concrete from the stadium that they're trying to knock down. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. And they would have some image of Las Vegas, even though they won the championship for the <laughs> Athletics in Oakland. Uh, all right, Todd. Thanks for doing this. All right, guys. Thanks so much. Bleacher Tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a Friday. Andrew Campbell at Real Cam Drew writes in low ratings. Two weak teams. Who cares? Buster, if this year's World Series matchup was Astros Dodgers or Yankees Phillies, everyone would be complaining about how there's no parody in the league. Does Major League Baseball have a fan problem? No, I don't think they have a fan <laughs> problem. It's called social media. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everyone just loves to complain. Oh, my gosh. They're the, the complaining. That's what I was saying, you know, when uh, when these teams, are the best teams were getting knocked out, best regular season teams were getting knocked out early in the postseason. Like, just give them the choice and whether or not they want to host. That way we can avert, you know, go steer around the complaining, which – and I wasn't referring to players. I wasn't referring to front office people. I'm referring to fans. I'm tired of the complaining from fans about the structure. Everyone wants to be mad about something. Yep. Uh, Schultz, Ben Schultz, 12, writes in, Buster, what does the Snakes improbable run do for Tori Lovello's stature? Is he now an elite manager? Top five? Seems to me we're witnessing the arrival of the next great manager. Uh, Ravi mentioned the other day, everyone has to start somewhere. Right. Uh, I agree. I mean, you win a World Series, it changes the perception of everything. I mean, for years, Bruce Bochy, you know, was known within the sport among front office people as being a good manager. And then he got run out of San Diego by Sandy Alderson. He was with the Giants for what, like five years? They didn't win a championship. And then they went in 2010 and 12 and 14. And now we're talking about him in, in the conversation as being arguably one of the greatest managers of all time. Whew, what a statement. Brian Simp at Yo B Simp writes in, I'm a teacher in the Dallas suburbs and my students are obviously huge Rangers fans. For them, beating the Astros seemed like it was the most important thing. Can the Rangers get themselves back up to that high intensity against the D-backs? No doubt about it, Brian. Look, uh, you know, we've talked about this since the first week of the season, how when you're around the Rangers, my God, they're serious professionals. And forgive me if I told the story earlier in the week. I've mentioned it on radio a couple times. You guys remember early in the year 
when you had those home run celebrations teams, the Homer hose and the, mm-hmm. you know, the trident with the Mariners, which is great. And I, and I, and what I'm, what I'm going to say is not to criticize any of the teams. I thought those were super fun, but I reached out to the Rangers as that started. And I was like, Hey, what, uh, what are you guys doing for home run celebrations? And the response I got was like, we don't do that crap. Like, <laughs> like this is a serious group of professionals and you could see it with the way they play. You talk to Marcus Simeon, he almost never cracks a smile. Corey Seager's, you know, so serious boach, you know, he's got the, what's the name of the, uh, the actor who's on Lonesome Dove. You know, he's got that voice going, uh, mm. Sam Elliott. Ah, uh, you know, yeah. Get the yeah. Sam Elliott voice going. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I I, I, they will absolutely be up for this. Nathan Avaldi will be up for this. That's for sure. Oh yeah. Let's go to RL Foxy T-Rex. He writes in Sarah Langs mentioned the Diamondbacks losing streak from July 2nd to August 11th. They went seven and 25, uh, meaning they were 77 and 53, a 0.592 win percentage the rest of the way, despite a historic slump. Why did no one look at those numbers and think this team could be dangerous? I don't know. I think you can find a lot of those type of streaks within the, you know, every season for teams that wind up being in the 80 to 90 win uh, range, which is why among people who have been doing it a long time, managers, uh, you know, veteran players, they don't necessarily overreact. I think Tim was, I heard him telling this story in ESPN radio last week that in one stretch, the, the, uh, the Rangers went like 10 and 20. And Chris Young looked at Bochi and said, now, why did you want to come back and do this again? Because <laughs> <laughs> their slide was so precipitous. I, I think that that's, uh, that's part of it. And also, we saw the Diamondbacks down the stretch. They mm-hmm. looked tired. Yep. You know, we told the story about how Tori Lovello brought Dustin Pedroia in to speak to the players to get them all uh, jazzed up as they came down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, I guess he's kind of he's picking a block of time there, but like they they slumped hard and then they were playing like a little above average. Like that's what it took to get well, in well above you, average. Well, like five, I mean, you when know, you look at the rest of the teams, yeah, I mean, look at all the teams they were competing against. Like it, it was a little bit of a, a yeah. clown show to, to sneak on in there. So they were the best of that bunch. So I can understand why you could look at that team at that time and be like, how are they? How are they dangerous? You know, it's interesting. I I. Uh, I called Kim Ang on the eve of the playoffs after the Marlins made it. And, and I, you know, asked her the question, why did, uh, you know, after, because the, the Marlins beginning of the second half, they lost eight straight games coming mm-hmm. out of the all-star break. And so I asked her, what, uh, what compelled you to go and trade for those players? And she, like, I could hear in her voice, this incredulous, like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you were one of the best teams in the national league in the first half eight games of results like that didn't matter. Mm-hmm. I thought yeah. it was kind of cool how competitive she was <laughs> And that answer. Like, come on, <laughs> <laughs> let's go. Last one for today. Louisville slugger uh, writes in, will Terry Francona and Dusty Baker be part of the same hall of fame class? If, if so, how awesome will that be? Yeah, baby, man. Great people, great speeches. Uh, you know, I always uh, we talk about what do you root for? Root for great stuff to happen to good people, and you root for great games. Well, that'll be fun to watch Dusty and Francona if, in fact, they are part of the same class. All right, there you have it. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter. While you're watching these games over the weekend, and we will be back on Monday to recap all the action. Very excited, Buster. Yeah, it'll be fun. And as I mentioned, we're going to have Eric Young on with us, and we're going to work through some of the uh, any of the others who are going to join us. But Eric Young will will bring great perspective on what's happened in the World Series so far, and we're going to talk about managerial candidacy. All right, that's it for today. That's it for this week. My thanks to Boog, Sarah, Hembo, Todd, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and remember. 
Hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. Dogs are an important part of our lives. That means protecting them from parasites. Ask your vet about NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus Chews provides one and done monthly protection against fleas, ticks, heartworm disease, roundworms, and hookworms. Plus, they're delicious and easy to give. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Ask about NexGuard Plus Chews.